Our scripture reading today is going to be from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. If you'd like to join, join along with me, I'm reading from the ESV version. Now, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I believe to you as of first importance what I would also receive what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he ha- appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the disciples, to all the apostles. Last of all, he also, last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any, any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we're just so humbled by your sacrifice on the cross today and your resurrection today, Father. Through the shedding of your blood, you conquered sin and you conquered death. You, gave, you made us pure and perfect in your eyes, though we're sinners, Father, every one of us. Lord, we're not worthy of your sacrifice, but grateful for it. Lord, we just praise you and give you all glory today as we celebrate your resurrection from the grave and for our salvation. Lord, we just praise you and give you all glory. And all God's people said, amen. Don't worry, your preacher will be back next week. I was tempted to take the jacket and the tie off when I got up here, but I might as well finish out what I started. A lot of times when we come together, especially today, Resurrection Day, it's good for us to remind ourselves that um, our faith is is grounded in history. Uh, It is a faith that is historical. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that Christianity is a philosophy, which it becomes, or Christianity is a, um, a way for us to deal with our problems or anxiety or worries. And those things happen. But first, Christianity, our faith in Christ, is grounded in a historical event. And a lot of times we, we, will, we, we get it switched. Here, listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 12, right where we left off. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not 
been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised, we're wasting our time. But Paul emphasizes the resurrection so that we'll understand and focus on this reality that as the message was first preached, the word preach means, uh, the Greek word is caruso, it means to herald. So I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure some of you saw a movie called Night's Tale. And in this movie, there was a herald. He would go out before the night and introduce the night with all these flamboyant words about how great the night was. Well, that's a good picture of what a herald was. A herald was someone who pronounced something that had already taken place. So when the message is being preached, as Paul is laying out for us here, and as the apostles all do as they go throughout their ministry, it was a heralding. It was announcing this incredible news, this incredible understanding of all the things that we have. And we have all these things in Christ Jesus. And he was who he said he was because he rose from the dead. The scripture lays these things out for us so that we would recognize it. And here's what Paul would, would go on to say. He says in verse 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. If he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The essential message of Christianity is different than every other religion. Other religions say, here's a better philosophy, here's a better way to live. And a lot of times we start to confuse that and, and uh, absorb that, compromise with that in Christianity. But the truth is our faith in Christ is built on a historical event that took place that we gather this morning to celebrate. That there's no body in the tomb. That Christ is risen. This is not a philosophy. This is heraldry. This is discussing those things. An earth-shattering historical event. And when we understand that news, the good news that Christ is risen from the dead, it will affect everything else. It will affect how we relate in the world, how we relate with other people, how are you going to deal with worry or anxiety? It will affect your relationships. It will change everything about how we live. Paul said, if Christ is not risen, we're all wasting our time. But since he is risen, we have hope. All all uh, religions prior to Christianity tended to be for cultured people, the well-off, right? Christianity broke all those molds. Who did Christ preach to? He preached to the poor, the destitute, the people nobody else wanted to talk to. He went out to the streets and he talked to the harlots and the drunkards and the poor. 
And the message that the apostles brought to the poor after the resurrection was not, let me tell you how to change the way you look at your world. It was not about, let me tell you about how to have a better attitude in life so that you might be able to live your best life now. He told the slaves, Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, we have hope. He is our great God and Savior. And he made certain promises that we can hold to. So we hold to those promises. It wasn't a philosophy that changed a slave's view about how he was supposed to go through the oppression of his life. Keep in mind, Christianity was founded in the slave culture of the Roman Empire. More than 6 million slaves in Rome. The vast majority of the early church were slaves who found hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The establishment of the message that Jesus brought. And this message was historic. What is it? This is the message, guys. This is what occurred. God came from outside of history. The God of the universe, one of the greatest mysteries that we'll ever try to unravel. The God of the universe was born in the flesh. He came clothed in flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life, absolutely fulfilling the law. Then he became our sin sacrifice. The scriptures declare to us that he who knew no sin became our sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God. He bore our sin upon that cross. He rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures for our justification. Our justification, that's a declaration from the judge, the judge God Almighty declaring that we are just men made perfect. How? By faith in Christ. In the work he accomplished. He's ascended to the Father where he is seated at his right hand and where he ever lives. He lives forever interceding for us. Praying for you and I. It happened in history. So everything changed. Everything was radically transformed. Nowadays, many of us gather together looking for an answer to our pain or our anxiety or our failing marriages or our struggles in life. And following Christ can't accomplish that. But that's not the goal. The goal is to recognize Jesus Christ did what he said he did. And if he didn't raise from the dead, if Jesus is not risen, we have nothing to offer you for your pain. We have nothing to offer you for your anxiety or your broken marriage or your sickness or your illness or anything else. If Christ is not risen, then we are more to be pitied than every other man. But since Christ is risen... We do have something to offer you about your worries. 
We do have ways to help you find that, that reconciliation for the loved ones in your life. We do have ways to encourage you in facing the, the death of a loved one or your own personal suffering. But if Christ is not risen, then life stinks and that's all there is. And this is why Paul brings together this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to focus on the gospel. A lot of times people ask the question, what is the gospel? Well, one of the clearest definitions we have scripturally is this section of text in front of us. Here's what the, what the Lord would declare. Paul writes, now I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, with you which you received and in which you stand. So he's going to lay out for us the essential nature of the gospel, the good news, that which is heralded, right? This is good news. Why is it good news? Because Christ is risen. And the resurrection changed everything. It brought incredible promise. <clears throat> so as we look at this essential nature, it starts with the announcement. That's the gospel, the announcement, the heralding that Christ was born, lived, died, and rose again. He begins with the heralding, but then what happened with it? What did Paul say? This is the gospel I preached to you, and then what happened? Which you received. He said, which you received. What's that mean, to receive? It literally means to take hold of, to apprehend. So the gospel is spoken, just like it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. How do we come into that most blessed relationship where we are in Christ Jesus. We hear the gospel and we believe. The good news is heralded. Not a good philosophy. Good news of historical uh, uh, of a historical event. And that is proclaimed Christ's uh, birth, life, death, and resurrection. Those are historical true events. There is more eyewitness accounts for the life of Christ than any other life that we've ever studied in school. If we are to throw out the historical evidence for Christ, then you don't know anything you think you know. Because everything you've studied in history is based on a lesser amount of eyewitness accounts than the life of Christ. Well-established fact. Unless you're the History Channel. If you're the History Channel, we don't really know if Jesus lived. <laughs> but a, a little bit of research will show you. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Media does not really want to tell the truth about anything. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that within media there's an attack on Christ, there's an attack on family, there's an attack on the church? And if you'll pay attention, that's going to increase, not decrease. We're blessed right now that we're able to take this message and put it out on YouTube where people will be able to find it, you know, as long as YouTube allows it to be there. <clears throat> but after watching the news, I recognize that's not going to be eternal. One day all that stuff's going to come down. 
One day the reality is the public square where we have to herald the message of Christ is literally going to be the public square again. So we see that this is rooted in history. What did he say? You received it, you laid hold of it, and then what else? This is what you stand in. You stand in the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, was born in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. All I got to do, the eyewitness account, I read up, what, what did Pilate say? Pilate said, I'm going to crucify this guy for all the things he'd done wrong. No, what did he say? He said, this is an innocent man. This is an innocent man. Why should I kill him? This is an innocent man. What's he proclaiming? Sinless. He's sinless. Nobody could come up with a, a, a real charge against Christ. Nobody could change that. We stand in the gospel. We receive, we believe, and we enter into, are baptized into the body of Christ. And we stand in this, in this reality because we hold fast. If you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. What's he saying? He's not saying, well, your faith might not be good enough and their faith is good enough. You'll be saved and they won't. What he's saying is any deviation from this gospel is not a gospel that saves. Any deviation. You can't change it. You can't twist it. You can't tweak it. You can't say, well, this is 2021 and so all these things got to be okay now. No, that doesn't change. Nothing changes the good news of what Christ has done for us. Now he lays out the essence of the gospel. Verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, if you were here last week, you heard me exhort you to read Isaiah 53 throughout the week, be continuously going back to what the scripture wrote about the Christ, the, the servant of God, and what he would accomplish in Isaiah 53. And here, Paul is saying, this is the first order. This is the beginning of the gospel. What? That Christ died for my sin. And he did it according to the scriptures. That this was God's planned purpose for his life. Paul didn't say, here's a philosophy on how to live. This is the gospel. Here's how to live. Here's how to, here's how to experience happiness or great joy. He said, I'm delivering to you, first of all, what I received. Christ died for your sin. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. He goes on, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, that is the name of the disciples. There's always a genius somewhere that says, you know, Judas, he's not around anymore, so he should have said to the eleven. Well, you ever read the Bible? Usually that's what I want to say, but I try not to say that. <laughs> Do you ever read the Bible? There's this thing in the Old Testament called the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you know how many there are? Yeah, there's more than 12. 
And there's a different group listed most of the time for a reason every time they're listed, but there's always 12 listed. So when he talks about the 12 tribes of Israel, he's talking about all of Israel. When he's talking about the 12 disciples, he's talking about all his disciples. Are they going to pick another one? Yep. Yeah, they're going to pick another one. And then that gives an opportunity for the church to argue about whether that was the right one to pick. You guys ever had that discussion? The discussion goes something like this. Well, they picked this Yahoo, but God really picked Paul. Well, it doesn't say that in the Bible. No place. It don't say that. It just says that they said, hey, we need to add one back to our number so we have 12 again. So they were worried about being called a 12 and only being 11 too. The scripture declares the 12. He's talking about the disciples. He said, first he came to Peter, who is actually one of the, oh, look at you guys, you're tracking with me. One of the 12, right? And then he appeared to the 12. But we know the first time he appeared to the 12, there was somebody missing. What's his name? Well, Judas missing, you're right, that's true. There's another one missing. Thomas. What do we call him? Daddy Thomas. Everybody does something wrong, and they get hung for it in the Bible. You notice that? Well, mostly by us, right? Because when you read the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, God doesn't focus on all the failures, right? He, He focuses on the faith of his heroes. But what do we remember David for? Bathsheba. I'm sure he's so happy about that. He's like, there was a lot of things in my life. I killed a giant when I was a kid, a lion, a bear. You know, there's a lot of good things I did, but the one thing I get remembered for, right? So when we look at the scriptures, it lays this out for us. We have these these things. Peter, he's going to be remembered for certain things. Thomas, he's going to be remembered for certain things. But after Jesus appeared, how many was there when Thomas was gone? Yeah, we might as well just call him the 12, right? Now Thomas comes back, he's going to appear to him three different times, but he's going to appear to every single one of the disciples who are going to be eyewitness accounts. I saw Jesus. It's not some story like we get today. This is not the National Enquirer. These guys could have walked a block away to find out if what the story was true or not. You could not pull this lie off in the ancient world. You could not do it. Yeah, Jesus rose. No, he didn't. He's over there. But this is rooted, absolutely rooted in history. In fact, Scripture goes on. He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Listen to the next phrase. Most of whom are still alive. Why did he say that? So just in case you want to talk to him, there's 500 he appeared to at once, and they will all verify as eyewitnesses that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And they're verifying not a vision like an Old Testament prophet. They're verifying the reality. The disciples are going to eat with Jesus. They're going to touch him. They're going to walk with him. The 500 are going to see him walking and talking. So they're saying, look, if you want to understand whether or not the things we're telling you are true, there's the guys who saw it. They'll tell you. Nowadays, we look back and we say, oh, you know, I don't know if any of that is real. You could not have pulled that off. Not in the day. 
And you don't think the Romans would have liked to put Christianity out of its misery right at the beginning? You don't think they would have? You know how they tried to put Christianity out? Not by producing a Bible, or not by producing a, a, a Christ, not by producing his body. How did they try to put it out? They tried to kill it. They tried to, to destroy it, just like Daniel wrote. Daniel wrote that the kingdom of Rome was like a beast. It was vicious and brutal. And how did that beast treat the church? It was vicious and brutal to the church. And it attacked and it martyred and it, then the church grew. Why? Because it's founded in truth. Because if they could have washed it away, they would have washed it away. They couldn't stop it. Every time they turned around, there was another slave getting saved. And then they would go to kill a bunch of them. They'd sit in a circle and they'd sing together while the lions were ravishing their bodies. And there are accounts of it. Because they knew there's nothing you can do to us. You turn the lions loose and there'll be a little bit of fear and a little bit of pain and then I'll be with my Savior because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. <clears throat> that whole world, that's why the world was turned on its ear. Because they knew the message that was heralded to the people was based in truth. Do you know that today? The lives that were affected, the truth of what was accomplished. What were the eyewitnesses that he went through? First, he said the Old Testament scriptures spoke about it. You remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with two disciples and they're, they're, they're uh, mourning the fact that the one they believed to be Messiah died. And so Jesus, as he's walking with him, he proved to them from Moses and through the prophets that the Christ was supposed to suffer. So he proved all the way from the Torah, from the beginning, from Genesis, this is one way of saying it, from Genesis to Malachi, Jesus proved to them that the Christ was supposed to suffer, die, and rise on the third day. And when their eyes were open, they didn't even stay to eat dinner. So just imagine, Emmaus is about a seven-mile walk from from Jerusalem. So you walk seven miles. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't like to walk ever. This is why I have been born in the modern era. My wife is desperately trying to get her, her husband back into the shape he was in when we got married, and her husband has surrendered. <clears throat> I, I don't even look at the mirror anymore and think I could get back. I just don't care. <laughs> that's, that's currently where I'm at. So I'm probably not going to walk seven miles anywhere. And if I did walk seven miles, I, you can be sure I'm eating when we stop. <laughs> so these fellows walk seven miles with Jesus while he's teaching. They don't know it's Jesus. While he's teaching them about the Old Testament witness about who Christ was supposed to be. And then when they stop for dinner, he breaks the bread and prays, disappears. They realize that was Jesus. So they get up and walk seven miles Back to the disciples. They didn't eat. That's 14 miles. <laughs> These guys were absolutely certain about the events that took place. Right? This is not a, oh, maybe it was him. No, man. No. 
They walked all the way back. The Old Testament scriptures is a witness of the Christ. Peter, Peter, the knucklehead. You know, we just were studying about the beginning of his denial last week, and we'll, we'll look at it again next week when we get back to John. But Peter, who denied Christ, right? Denied Christ three times, denied him before the cock crowed. The same night, Jesus said, Peter said, Peter said to Jesus, even if all these other yahoos <clears throat> deny you, I'll never deny you, I'll die. Jesus said, before the sun comes up this morning, you're going to deny me. And then Peter does it. The Gospel of Luke says when Peter denied Christ a third time, the cock crowed, Peter lifted up his eyes, and Jesus was looking at him. What do you think was transmitted in that look? All we know is that Peter immediately began weeping bitterly, which, by the way, in the language, there's not a way to describe crying harder than those words so full-grown massive giant he was called the giant in history the giant fisherman just weeping like crazy running out of uh, of the area because he had denied the lord could not stand for christ couldn't do it after the resurrection jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Three times, right? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yea, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus commissioned him. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. I want you to be doing the work that I know you're able to do. But he told him something. Peter, stay here until you have been endowed with power. And then you will be able to be my witness. Because the resurrection is grounded in reality and in truth. Jesus' words to Peter were, one day, Peter, you're not going to be the guy who messes up. And so Peter does what? He stands up on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches a message in front of the same people that crucified Christ. And they get saved. This is not some cunningly devised fable. This is truth. Peter is an eyewitness. The 12 is an eyewitness. 500 at one time are eyewitnesses. James, the other guy with Paul, often linked together with Paul when we talk about proofs of the resurrection because James and Paul both were enemies of Christ when he died. James, the brother of Christ, yeah, he didn't believe who Jesus was, until what? Until the resurrection. Until the resurrection, and then he said, my Savior and my God. The resurrection has changed everything. All the apostles, the scriptures that you read, those scriptures are not, uh, some kind of newspaper article written by some uh, journalist who interviewed a bunch of people. Those scriptures are, are written by people who were there. Listen to what they say. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, 
having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke is what Luke says. Hey, these were the events that happened among us, around us, by the very eyewitnesses themselves. So I put them together so you, Theophilus, would know in what you have believed. Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <laughs> Peter says, not only did I walk with Christ, not only did I see him, did I see him die, did I see him rise again, I saw him in glory. Peter was there and saw the Lord in glory. And so he declares this before them. He saw him in glory. When we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. We heard it. Not, somebody's not telling me about it. Who was there? Peter. Who wrote the book of Peter? This is not a trick question. <laughs> Who wrote the book of Peter? Peter did. Peter said, I was there. I saw his glory. I heard a voice from heaven. I did. Me. I was there. It's founded in historical fact. We have, he says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's he saying? He's saying prophecy told us this was coming. And in the light of the events that we see in the life of Christ that I was an eyewitness to, I can see prophecy fulfilled. And then he gives us just in case people are saying, well, you can make any prophecy work for anything. That only works if you've got a YouTube channel, apparently. There's been no end of, of uh, bogus prophecies in the last couple of years, and there will be no end to the bogus prophecies in the years to come because Jesus said it would be like that. He said it would be like that. In the, in the days in which the nation of Israel was exiled, you had the true prophets speaking the word of God, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, <clears throat> the prophets that God had put in place, Daniel, and other guys that were there together at that same time. And you had false prophets who made the real prophets look like a joke. Because everybody looked at the false prophets and they said, see, this is all a prophet is. And so they discounted the truth. What does it say? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. God says, I'll send strong delusion. What was the strong delusion for the nation of Israel? False prophets. Do yourself a favor. Turn off the false prophets. Don't buy their books. Don't watch their shows. Stay grounded in the word of truth. As Nobody wants to go by the biblical record. You guys know what's supposed to happen if you're wrong on a prophecy, right? You guys know. You're supposed to get stoned, and that doesn't mean smoke dope. 
It means, it means get hit with rocks. If that was still the judgment, if you made a false prophecy and people stood in front of you with a bunch of rocks and pelted you with rocks until you died, how many false prophets do you think there would be? It's kind of miraculous, huh? But that doesn't happen. So men make all kind of crazy prophecies. You want to know what to do in the last times. How will I know if I'm going to be ready? The Lord has already given you his final word in Christ Jesus. You have the word of God on your lap. You don't need a new prophecy. You need to follow the ones we've been given. That's all the prophecy we need. Well, Jackie, they say Trump's going to be president again. I don't care. I'm not looking for president. I'm looking for a king. I'm looking for my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead and will return. And until that time, I'm supposed to do business till he comes. So Paul says, or uh, Peter says right here, look, <clears throat> we know the prophecies are true. We saw them happen. Listen to what he says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Any prophecy produced by the will of man is not true. Prophecy produced by God is specific and always true. 150 years before Cyrus, the one who would turn the children of Israel loose in the exile, was born, God named him my servant Cyrus. 150 years before he was born, he had already said, in fact, it messes people's minds up so much that biblical skeptics say that's proof that Isaiah was written after the events because there's no way Isaiah could have known. You're right. There's no way Isaiah could have known. God told him that's what prophecy is. But it's not of any private interpretation. Verse 20, knowing this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not produced by the will of man. But holy men spoke from God and were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's no presumed acts. This is a work of God. Peter, who was an eyewitness, said, I know prophecy is true because I saw it happen. Just what the Bible said was going to happen. Peter says, I know this for a fact. These are the eyewitnesses. Paul says he's an eyewitness. Paul, who was an enemy, right? He said he was killing the church. Paul doesn't come with a message, hey, trust in Jesus because he'll calm your anxiety. He doesn't say trust in Jesus and, and he'll help you develop self-confidence. That's not what Paul says. He says there's no hope. This is what Paul, we just read it. This is what Paul said. In my, this is a, a Jackie paraphrase. You ready? It's not going to sound like the Bible. But it's what Paul wrote. There is no hope unless God himself punched a hole in the ceiling of the universe and our great captain, Jesus Christ, who has opened the cleft in the pitiless walls of the universe, bids us come to see him. He has entered into our universe. He was born. He died for his sins, and he's raised again. He has risen from the dead. And since that's true, you can be saved. 
Since that's true, you have hope for the future. Since that's true, you can have forgiveness of sin. Since that's true, you can have a relationship with God. And the Spirit of God can come into your life and change you. Just like it changed Paul. Because it really happened. It is a historical event. Paul preached for 20 years concerning the events of the crucifixion. He heralded this truth, proclaiming the historical event that eyewitnesses could confirm. And he wrote about it in Acts 26. In Acts 26, beginning in verse 22, it says, To this day I have had the help that comes from God, so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ would suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people, that's the Jews, and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things. This is what he said to him. Festus, you know about these things, <clears throat> about him and to him. I speak boldly, for I am persu persuaded none of these things escaped your notice, for they were not done in a corner. He's saying to Festus and to the guys, you know the stories. You've heard them. They didn't have Facebook, but somehow the word spread. They didn't have Twitter, but somehow the word spread. Just so you know, soon you won't have those things either. But the word will spread because it's founded on true historical events. And it was written about by eyewitnesses who declared the truth. Paul knew nobody could argue with him. Nobody ever said to Paul, Jesus did not rise from the dead. They waited 2,000 years to say that. Because if they said it when Paul was there, somebody in the crowd could have stood up and said, I saw him. And somebody else could have stood up over here and said, I saw him too. That's how the world was turned upside down. Because it's real. It's true. And it radically changed Paul's life. Look what he wrote in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that phrase. Are you okay with that, by the way? You yourself, are you okay with being who you are in Christ? There's no better person to be than who you are in Christ. Paul would write, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. So whether it is I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Listen, Paul saw Jesus, heard Jesus. Listen, Paul, just so you know, Paul doesn't just appear on the scene in the book of Acts. He was living, breathing, probably one of the Pharisees who accosted Jesus on more than one occasion. 
when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 6, Paul was there holding the coats of those who were stoning him. He wasn't an infant when Jesus came and then several years he finally grew up and he had some weird experience. No, he was there when Christ was ministering. And he was unaffected by the ministering that Christ did. He was unaffected by what went on. What affected him? The church starts to blow up and he says, I'm going to start killing these Christians. I'm going to get rid of these guys. There's a terrible sect. And then he saw Jesus. Then he saw him. He sought to exterminate Christians. There was no greater enemy of the church than Paul. He wrote 13 books in the Bible. How does that happen? From killing the church to writing 13 books in the Bible. It just happened. It's just miraculous, you know, there was a miracle. No, he saw Jesus. That's what explains it. And Jesus changed his life. He came face to face with him. This is where, in most sermons, they say, God knocked him off his horse. But if you read the text, you'll see that there's no mention of a horse. So I don't know if he was on a horse or not. I know he saw Jesus. He saw him with his eyes. He saw him and it ever, it changed his life. He says to Festus, you know these things because you know you heard about them. They were happening. It wasn't a philosophy that changed his life. It wasn't some kind of an argument of, that somebody gave for the reason for an existence of God. His life changed because he saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ. He appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And his life was never the same. And what would Paul say about Jesus? Listen, he would say this, death cannot hold him. Death could not hold him. Romans 1, verse 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So the Old Testament was a witness of who Christ was concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God in power. And according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, Jesus rose from the dead. I saw him. He spoke to me. I didn't just walk down the road one day after eating a pizza and get a crazy idea in my mind and blame it on God. He saw him. He said death could not hold him. It changed Paul's life. What about Peter? We alluded to Peter a little bit earlier. Cowardly denier of Jesus. He saw Jesus, not in a dream. He saw Jesus face to face. And Jesus loved him even though he messed up. Is there anybody here today thankful that Jesus loves us even though we mess up? Jesus loved him even though. Jesus, here's another one. Jesus used Peter even though he was a mess up. Anybody thankful for that? Jesus uses people who mess up. And Peter said, interestingly enough, like Paul, death could not hold him. In Acts 2, verses 22 to 24, Peter's voice, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The Son of God is described in Scripture as life incarnate. He is life. It was impossible for death to squelch out life. This is what's being described. Jesus overcame death. Now, I'm going to allude to another movie. Don't tell everybody that's all I do at church. I'm sure none of you saw this either, so don't look it up. In the movie The Matrix, there's a scene where Neo dives into the body of Agent Smith. And then it looks like Agent Smith has won. Neo's gone. All that's left standing there is Agent Smith. And then he starts to get that worried look on his face. You know how they do in the movies where they want you to think something's happening? What's happening? And then he starts to get these little bubbles running around on his body. And the next thing you know, his whole body explodes and Neo comes out. That's what Jesus did to death. And Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. He said, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. So Jesus Christ dies on the cross. He said, no man can take my life. What did he do? I have to give it. So what's, the la- what's his final words from the cross? Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. He gave himself to death. Death swallowed him. But look what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is the power of sin, is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death swallowed him up and life broke forth on the third day. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that death has no hold on any believer or follower of Jesus Christ. Zero hold. Death can do nothing to you. Whatever the world does to you, whatever evil they pour out upon you, whatever things come against you can only make your status better the worst death can do is present you before jesus christ in his glory that's not bad in fact that is the message that propelled six million uh slaves to put their trust in christ to face the gladiators to face the lions to face whatever things they put before them because they said what are you going to do what are you going to kill me Well, I was a slave, you know, that's okay. I'm not all that excited to go back to being a slave. And if you kill me, I get to see Jesus. Knock yourself out. 
In fact, so much was their lives transformed that Roman soldiers who watched these people, these believers die in the, in the, um, in the, in the sands of the, of the gladiators and with the lions, they would walk, they'd throw their armor off and walk down just to say, I'm with you. Whatever you got, I want. Let the lions eat. I want that because they believed in something that was true and real and historic. It's not some imaginary thing, some pie-in-the-sky idea. And it radically changed them. Here's Paul's attitude. He would say this, Spare not death, do thy worst. For if you reach out to hold me and grab me and choke me, all you will do is make me better than I was before. Reach out and get me, and all you can do is make me more glorious than I was before. Death, I taunt you. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is your victory? Don't you see what Paul's saying? If the proclamation is true, then our preaching is not useless. Our preaching is useful, and you have something in Christ that can handle everything. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he is risen. If you believe that the risen Christ is now in control of history, even the bad things that happen to you, the bad things that happen to me, are crosses that are going to raise you. No matter what comes in life, you can say to the struggles and the pain and the heartache and the sorrows, you can say, lay me low, go ahead, lay me as low as you can. And he will lift me up because of the truth of the resurrections. The truth of the resurrection is what propelled the early church the power of the Holy Spirit is what equipped them to turn the world upside down. It wasn't that they were made of sterner stuff than us. It's just that they understood all these things are true. That is the good news. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can come together, this opportunity to study your word, Lord, to consider the resurrection on this Easter morning, to consider the truth on this day, the truth of why the resurrection changes everything. Because we have the cloud of witnesses that goes before us, written for us in Hebrews chapter 12. We have this cloud of witnesses who stood up boldly in front of persecution at threat of pain of death and still declared Jesus Christ is risen. Still declared these events to be true. God, you moved in power by your spirit through the church and you started a fire that has burned for 2,000 years plus. 
And now, Lord, it feels like we are wrapping up. I don't know if we are or we're not, but it sure feels like it. I don't imagine things, at least in our neck of the woods, uh, getting much worse. God, you need us to know these things are true again. Ignite that fire, that passion in our lives. For we do not follow cunningly devised fables, but we follow eyewitness accounts of men they couldn't silence because death was defeated because of the resurrection. They could not put out the fire that started. They could not put it down because they knew Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Lord, may we take the truth of that message today, all these years later, may we take the truth of that message and may we allow your spirit to transform us that we would no longer be known as Peter or Paul or James, but we would be known as disciples of the living Lord who loves me even though and uses me even though and empowers me even though who asks me but one question do you believe Lord I pray today men and women might know they believe and that you be glorified in the lives they live out before you And as we gather for prayer here at the close of the service, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you and they have questions, they come forward and ask those who are here to pray. And they might share with them the truth. God, you would transform lives in this place today. And we'll give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name.